Welcome to Bible Fellowship Church's Sunday Morning Messages. Our podcast records the Sunday sermon from our pastor, Dr. Don Trust, other church leaders, and special guests. We hope you enjoy it, find it inspirational and enlightening to your understanding of the Bible. Life can be hard, but God has revealed Himself to us through the Word for our salvation and growth as believers. To help support our ministry, please consider becoming a subscriber and financial contributor. Links to donate are on our website at bfcforyou.org. Identified in Isaiah chapter 66, what I believe to be an important principle in understanding the vision of Isaiah and the prophecies that are scattered throughout those 66 chapters that make up the book of Isaiah. In essence, the principle is that God has his eye on, or he's on the lookout for a certain kind of person to enter into a relationship, enter into a unique relationship with. He tells us that he is looking for, and I'm reading now from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, but this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one I have my eye out for. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In the context of Isaiah chapter 66, the couple of verses that precede it and also the verses that follow it, he's putting in contrast the type of person that the Lord is looking for one who is humble and contrite in spirit, trembles at his word, with those who uh, indulge in an artificial worship. Even though they have the temple, they have this glorious, wonderful uh, brick and mortar, gold and silver building, uh, elaborate, and they have a large number of people who, who attend, who come along to worship, to enter into the ritual and the various activities associated with this huge building. And it even seems that the people are interested in doing this. This is something that they enjoy, that they take delight in. This idea of gathering in this building and enjoying themselves with one another around a a sense of spirituality is what the people of Israel were involved in. The Lord then announces that that's all fine and dandy, but if you're doing that for him, for the Lord, he says he doesn't appreciate it as much as maybe they think he should. He says, I'm looking for something other than that. A glorious worship service, a wonderful time of gathering together uh, may be cool. It may make us all feel that we are doing something spiritually unique, but in the eyes of the Lord, there's something more substantial, uh, something authentic that he is looking for. So these words, this is the one to whom I will look. I have my eye out for this kind of person. The one, This is the kind of individual that I want to enter into relationship with. I want to consider as a friend. And he described him as humble and contrite in spirit. But I think the key phrase is trembles at my word. There's this awe and respect for the things that God has chosen 
to say to us in the scripture. And as we understand these things, as we appreciate and value these things as God does, and as we respond to them in faith and in obedience, then the Lord is, he's attracted to that kind of person. Now, I think this is a principle that that is important. It underlies, it is the bedrock of understanding what it is that God is seeking to say in these 66 books of Isaiah, 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah. Uh, we noted that Isaiah is referenced, cited more times in the New Testament by the writers of the New Testament than any other author uh, in the Old Testament. He is the author that when someone is making a point in regards to the ways of God in the world of man, they will say, you know Isaiah said such and such. As we go through this series on Isaiah, we're going to touch on some of those things because they're at critical junctures. Uh, as in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus himself will cite Isaiah. and He will do so with the intent of drawing attention to the type of person that God wants his people to be, that he's, that he's looking for. So with that in mind, we want to go to several other places in the book of Isaiah and see how this principle of friendship, this principle of God looking for one who appreciates what he has said in his word, values that. So we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1. That's the opening of the book of Isaiah. It is the title that Isaiah has chosen to give to the book. And we'll start there, and then we want to move from chapter 1 to chapter 6. In chapter 6, we have the uh, commissioning of Isaiah. Isaiah will have the vision wherein he sees the Lord high and lifted up. And consequent to this vision, Isaiah is given a commission. His commission is to go to the people of Israel and to deliver a message. We also want to go to Isaiah chapter 41. There's some really encouraging, wonderful words there that God speaks. But in the context of that, he refers to Abraham and the promises that he made to Abraham. And he calls Abraham my friend. The addition of my friend in the text of Isaiah chapter 41 links us, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 66 and the fact that God is on the lookout for the kind of person that he can share his word with. The thing that about Abraham that is special about him is that he is given as the prototype of the one who has faith in God, the one who believes and is declared righteous. Abraham is the first of that kind given in Scripture. And that's, given, that's referenced over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, no matter what writer you're reading from, whether it be James or Paul or even Peter, there's this necessity of exercising the kind of faith that Abraham exercised. And in believing God's word and the manner in which Abraham did, God reckoned him to be his friend, one whom is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. 
So we'll go to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, and it starts out by saying, uh, this is the title to the book, The Vision of Isaiah, the Son of Amos. It doesn't say visions plural, it says visions singular. He's looking at the 66 chapters not as a collection of visions or a package of various prophecies, but he's looking at it as a unit. There is a, there is a, a theme that runs consistent from Isaiah 1 all the way through Isaiah chapter 66. And it's related, if you will, to this idea that God is looking for those who will respond in an appropriate manner to his word. The vision of Isaiah. Now, throughout the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, when his name is mentioned, and it's mentioned on a number of occasions, especially through chapter about 39, Isaiah will be referenced a number of times as the author of the book of Isaiah. And each time, or most of those times, he's called Isaiah, the one in the Isaiah in particular, that is the son of Amos. Amos is spelled A-M-O-Z. There's an Amos, A-M-O-S in the scripture, and this is not the same individual. Really don't know much about Amos from the, from, from the scripture, but Jewish tradition says that he was a relative of the king and would have been well known. He would have been a man of station, a man of perhaps position within the Jerusalem society, well known, uh, looked up to, perhaps respected. And because Isaiah was his son, that gave Isaiah contact with the upper echelon of the Jewish community, whether it be the leadership, the royal house of David that's ruling and reigning, or whether it be the Aaronic priesthood, those that are associated with the, the temple in Jerusalem, and, and, and every aspect. So he would have been a man that would have been recognized, uh, Isaiah would have been, because he was the son of Amos. He goes on to say that this vision, singular, he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So this tells us that the message that Isaiah is delivering has as its focal point this particular geographical location called Jerusalem. And it's the same Jerusalem, or at least not, uh, it's the city on the same site as the old Jerusalem. It's called Jerusalem today. Uh, concerning Judah, Judah could be a the geographical location, could be the state in which Jerusalem is found, but more likely it's, it has to do with the people that live in the vicinity of Jerusalem and outside the city in the countryside and for some, for some area around. Those people that are identified with the temple in Jerusalem and also with the Davidic household. Isaiah goes on to say that uh, this vision, this revelation, that God had given to Isaiah this message that he wanted delivered to the city of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah. He says this occurred over a period of time. It wasn't, it wasn't a sit down in one moment or in one period of time all this came to him. It was spaced out over a period of 35, 55 to 55 years. And Isaiah says that this was, vision was given to him in the days of Uzziah, the king, and the days of Jotham, the king that followed Uzziah, and then Ahaz that followed Jotham, and Hezekiah. And these were kings of Judah in the line of the Davidic promise. 
Commentators tell us that that Isaiah likely lived in into the reign of Manasseh, who was the uh, he was the fifth king, the king that followed Hezekiah, and it's during the reign of Manasseh, who was a very bad king, evil through and through, one of the most wicked kings in all of the history of the people of Israel, whether it be the northern ten tribes or the southern tribes of Judah. Uh, he was an awful, terrible king. And it was during his reign, and at the end of the ministry of Isaiah, that he was that he, that Manasseh had him martyred, had him killed. So I think the thing to, to recognize here is that the message that Isaiah is delivering is during the period of these four, perhaps five kings that are ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to move on to chapter 6. This is the commissioning of Isaiah. God's going to call this man. He's going to identify him as one who is humble and contrite in spirit, one who has a trembling for the Word of God, a respect for the message that God uh, has said, for the things that God has said, and is wanting to uh, God has chosen him then uh, to deliver that message to the people of Israel at that time. So I'm going to pick up in verse 1 where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train, or the hem of his robe, filled the temple. So obviously Isaiah, this vision that Isaiah sees of the Lord, takes place in the temple, and the temple is located in Jerusalem. Some considered the temple in Jerusalem as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, it was a fabulous architectural wonder. And so the temple was the pride and the joy of the Jewish people, and rightly so. It was the place that God had specified would be the center at which the presence of God would abide, in a place where the people of Israel could come and actually enter into formal uh, dealings with the God of Israel, the God of the universe. And so he sees him in the temple. He sees him sitting on a throne in the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was the first in that list. So somewhere within that year before Uzziah died is when Isaiah re received his commission. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne like a king, I think signifying that the true king of Israel is not Uzziah or any of the other kings that would be in the Davidic line, but that ultimately the real ruler, the one who is in control, is the Lord himself. The Lord is immense. He says the hem of his robe filled the temple. And so you've got this, this is given the, the idea of the immensity of God. And we, we read that in chapter 61 last week when uh, the principle was given to us about the friendship that God is seeking with man. He says, he says, you want to make me a temple. And he says, understand that I made the universe and everything that's in it. I made the heaven and everything that's in heaven. And the earth is merely in, in as far as its significance, is merely a footstool to me. And so you're going to make me a temple, this building that you're going to associate with. In some way, you're going to think that that honors me. And God says, no, 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 no. The thing that honors me is a heart that's right with me. And a heart that's right with me 
is in right relationship to the message that I've given, that which I call my word, which has been recorded for us in the six in the uh, 66 books of the Bible, Old and New Testament. Above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim, in Hebrew, the him is plural, so this means more than one, perhaps a company, a troop of seraphs that we might call them, a seraphim. And each of these seraphs had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. Seraph means a flaming, uh, a brilliance, a brightness. And so in this scene, um, Isaiah is seeing these angelic figures, and they are, they are brilliance, and their brightness is incredible. But even they cover their, cover their face, and they cover their feet. They kind of hide themselves from the brilliance of the glory of God himself. They feel inferior even to him. And the one of the seraphs called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds in the temple shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking now, Woe is me, for I am lost. There's this humility, you see. There's this contriteness. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people. That would be Jerusalem, Judah, the people of Israel. I dwell in the midst of a people who have unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts himself. And so this revelation, this vision that Isaiah had of the majesty and the glory of God leaves him prostrate before the Lord and leaves him humbled and realizing the smallness of Isaiah and the insignificance of Isaiah, but even more so the, the sinfulness of Isaiah. Even though a good man in the eyes of other men Maybe one who would be held in high esteem as a holy man. But Isaiah saw himself in a proper light. He saw himself as one who was inferior to the God of glory, the God of the universe. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he'd taken with tongs from the altar. Remember, this is a vision, apparently, that Isaiah is having of the temple. And inside the temple, there, there are two altars. There actually are three altars associated with the temple, but there are two that are actually in the building itself. Uh, there's one that upon which the incense is burnt. And a burning coal of this incense was perhaps taken from the tongs from the altar. And this seraphim touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So there's a cleansing that takes place. And it takes place at the point of, of Isaiah's anatomy called his mouth, the place from which, he will, from which he speaks, the words, the thoughts of Isaiah, the things that are 
in his heart will flow out through his lips so that others can hear. And the commission that Isaiah is given is one in which he is going to speak for God. He's going to deliver the message that God wants delivered uh, to the people of Isaiah's day. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah responded, Here am I, send me. I will go. I will be your spokesperson. I will be the one who will deliver your message, your word uh, to your people. And this is what then the Lord said, go and say to this people, that would be the people of Jerusalem and Judah. This would be the people that uh, the Lord has, or the world actually uh, assumes are God's people. And they are behaving, they are worshiping in a manner that is dishonoring to the Lord. And he wants to call them out on that and give them an opportunity to change their, their mind, to change their perspective, uh, to enter into this thing called worship of God with the attitude that honors God and not one that's self-seeking or self-serving as it has been uh, up to this point in time. He said, go and say to this people. And now the Lord says, this is what I want you to say to them. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people, and the land is desolate, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains, and then it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. Now, there's a lot in these words that we've just read from Isaiah chapter 6. But what it is telling us is that the people are not going to respond with faith. They're going to hear the message of God and it's, they're, not going to, they're not going to be able to perceive it, understand it. And the reason why is because their own hearts are hardened and darkened and they love their sin. They love their sin to the point to where when God is offering them a better way, they just can't seem to get it. And I'm afraid that even in our world today, even though we have churches that are magnificent as far as their construction, even though we may have congregations that are full of people that number into the hundreds and maybe even larger than that, and that the people assemble want to be there. They're rejoicing. They are interacting with one another as they go through these motions of worship and adoration. But God looks at this and he's not always, it's not, all, it's not certain whether the things that are being observed in our churches sometimes are actually what they ought to be. More important than the church building and even the, and even the worship service as it unfolds, no matter how grand and glorious that may be in our eyes, what's more important is the, type of individual 
that walks out of that church after a Sunday service and goes back into his family, back into the workplace, back into his neighborhood, and he exhibits as a testimony, as a light of God to the world that he lives in. Through this lens, people see God through this human lens of a humble heart, contrite spirit, and one who marvels, one who stands in awe as he increasingly understands the message that God has spoken. This is Sunday morning sermon at Bible Fellowship Church. I'm here alone. There's no one here but me. I'm looking out this morning, not from the upper room as I was last week, but I'm standing in the pulpit. I'm looking out at the pews, and they are empty. And in my mind's eye, I can see various individuals where they normally sit, and, and I watch them during the sermon. And many of them respond with hearts that truly tremble at the hearing of the Word of God. And that's worship. That's worship. It's the preaching of the Word, and it's the response in the heart and in the lives of those who hear God's Word that is true worship. It's not what we do with our hands or our voices during the church service, but it's how we live in response to what God has said in his word and the time that follows the church service that's truly important. You know, we live in a time uh, in these recent days, I don't know if there's anything in church history that actually can compare to this, but the local church those who assemble in those local churches on Sunday mornings are, are not doing so. And this is a worldwide event, not just here in South Mississippi or in the United States or even in our hemisphere, the Americas, but it's in Europe and it's in, it's in um, Russia, it's in China. There are this, this idea of not assembling together on Sunday mornings is unprecedented. And so I wonder as I know that God is immense, He's, He is larger than the universe. The universe is merely His handiwork. I wonder if God is not looking on planet Earth in recent years and wondering if He is able, or will be able in the years ahead to find those. But you know He's on the lookout. He's on the lookout for one or two or more, a remnant, a small group of people, whether they gather together in groups or whether they stand alone, they have a heart that's right with the Lord, that's truly humble. They see God as He truly is, at least from the human perspective, the best that we can. And the circumstances of life have been such that they have experienced uh, injustice. They've, they've, they've gone through experiences that have, that have have left them with a contriteness, a smallness in their own eyes in comparison to the world that we live in, but also in comparison to God himself.